0: So Kia ora and welcome back to the Multi Millionaire Podcast. Thank you for joining us matua tiri. So this episode is about property as a means to grow wealth and passive income. So did you want to share a bit about yourself and your experience with property?
1: Yeah, so um, I um, oh, te i Ana taku, uh, whanau, uh, we're from, uh, I was brought up and raised in a little place called Tomatia, which um, I'm pretty sure uh, you'll be familiar with um, te kau kura. um I um, we're not from uh <coughs> certainly not from a wealthy family. We're not, you know, my my mum and dad, my dad was a truck driver and my mum was basically uh, she did uh, she worked at a a place called Eve Ceramic Studio. You, did, uh, you know, ceramic moulds, that sort of thing. So I wasn't brought up uh, with uh, with money, um, yeah, but um, it all started really for me because I read a book called Rich Dad Poor Dad, which I'm pretty sure a lot of uh, listeners are familiar with that book. Um, so that kind of was Rich Dad Poor Dad that kind of started the journey for me. Um, and... That was really because, if I sort of rewind back a bit further, um, I used to do powerlifting, um, and um, the the guys that I did it with, they were really good. Uh, one of them was the world champion, uh, his name is Derek Pormana, uh, and his brother Wayne, and I did powerlifting with those guys, and uh, ended up going to the world champs um, twice, once in the Ukraine, once in Italy. Um, but Every time I'd come back from these from the competitions, you'd go from an extreme high of going to a, going to a competition to sort of like an extreme low because you'd have to get back to, to Mahi back to work. Not only did I have to get back to work, but um, I'd also have quite a bit of debt. I would have spent all the money that I had saved over that whole year to go to the world champs and then mm-hmm. come home with no money and credit card debt and feeling not too motivated to go back to work. So I sort of thought, well, how the heck do I, how do I change this? And um, so I started asking questions around, I started doing a bit of uh, research around uh, millionaires. And one of the things I did find out was that a lot of, um, a lot of millionaires made their money through property investing. So I think the thing for me was really, it Wasn't so much that I wanted to be a property investor. It was more I wanted financial freedom, and mm. that was the goal. It just so happened to be property uh, that I used as the vehicle to get me. So um, I yeah I got started in property. I think it was about twenty-seven, you know, which was quite a. Uh, looking back on it now, I think it was quite a I was quite a late bloomer. Mm. Other other. People I know got into it a lot younger, and that's probably one thing that I would highly recommend: get in as soon as you can. Um, so, twenty-seven, I think I bought my first property, and then um, in about a year, over the course of a year, I bought ten properties. Wow! And, yeah, I did it really, really fast. So back then, things were a little different um, in terms of. Um, sorry, I've just got a cork.
0: no oh ka roha.
1: Uh, I tried to do the zoom at this time so that nobody would call me but of course my builder was calling me and oh gosh um, <laughs> so yeah um, like I was saying like kind of um, in a short period of time I managed to buy 10 properties but the the market was a little different back then you could yeah back then you could you only had to put up a five percent deposit Mm -hmm. and often you wouldn't have to put up any deposit Uh, as a matter of fact I could get loans at times where I could borrow 100% of the price and I'd also be able to borrow the amount of money that I required to do the renovation as well so often I'd get a 120% loan Um, uh, people don't believe it these days but um, back when I first started it was quite easy to, to borrow the money so that's what kind of helped me fast track. You know, buying, uh, buying a lot of properties like that. So, um, in my early 30s, I was uh, I'd already uh, made a million over a million dollars net worth in here. So, just want to make it clear, I didn't have a million dollars in the bank, but had I sold up my portfolio at the time, I might have might have made a couple of million bucks, something like that. Yeah. And it was in my early early 30s um, that I did that, and you know. Um, went through the recession 2008 Global GFC, Global Financial Crisis, had a few good learning experiences along the way there the market went very flat and um, basically from 2008 right through to about 2015 uh, the property market was as flat as a pancake, (laughs) so it was just pretty much kind of, and a matter of fact that uh, here in Hawke's Bay the market actually dropped back quite a bit Mm. so it was quite a stressful period as well because you you know it was hard to get any loans with the banks when you're you know when you're upside down with your with your equity. So what I mean by that is the uh, the mortgage or the value of the property was less than the mortgage that I had on it. Mm. And big big issue when it comes to trying to borrow uh, money from the banks. So it um, wasn't yeah, so until two thousand and fifteen that the market recovered and. Then I started to sell off a few properties here and there and got back into it and started buying again. Um, Mm. Yeah, still doing
0: it to this day, so um, yeah, probably a little bit about me. Cool. So talk us through your first investment property and and what was this like and um, what were the numbers on it? So did it, was it cash flow positive as soon as you bought it or...?
1: Yeah, it was so. Um, the very first property that I, I actually ever bought was um back in 1999, um, and that was down a little Littleton Crescent. Wasn't really an investment property, it was the first, just the first property that I bought. Um, but the problem is that uh, two months after I bought it, I got made redundant at my job huh. uh, here in Napier, and uh, the company that I worked for offered me a relocation package to move up to Auckland. Uh, and had me another job there so um, the, the mistake that I made I think was selling, yeah, it. I sold that home mm-hmm. that we just bought, we made no money on it because we literally just bought it so selling it again we just pretty much got back what we, you know, uh, what we owed on it sort of thing uh, but uh, the next property that I bought after that would have been probably in the same year um, down Barnard Avenue I think it was number 43 Barnard Evan and I paid 70 grand for that. Mm. Um registered valuation came in at something like 90 grand or 95 grand. So it was a very good purchase for a for my first purchase, and I ended up buying another one down the road from that as well. Similar sort of numbers. Um, now the rent the rent I was getting at the time on that was around, I think it was 280 bucks or something or 240 dollars. Mm-hmm. So it was cash flow positive. Um and no, I don't. I, I don't own that anymore. I, I, I sold it, but I bought that property back again a few a few years later. Did it up and sold it again, uh, and then I think I might have bought it three. Bought it back three times, I think. <laughs> property, so that's, cool. that's happened quite a bit along the journey because you know area that I I focused on was. But I knew. So I focused <laughs> on that area, and the main reason I focused on. What I knew was um, the numbers were. It was all all about the numbers, really. Um, yeah.
0: So for those people, of people we don't yeah. know that I know it's um, a lower socioeconomic area in Hawke's Bay, and and that was probably what contributed to the numbers being good for you. Correct. Correct. Even even when we
1: my wife and I we moved to Auckland, um, we lived in Auckland for seven or eight years, and. Even while I was living in Auckland, I was still buying properties back in Napier. But uh, I was hanging out with other investors in Auckland and often we would we would do, um, we would would walk around South Auckland, around Ōtara. Uh, and the prices back then were, you know, I could buy a five bedroom home for 120 grand in Ōtara, you know, that thing would be over a million bucks now, I'm sure. Um, yeah, and I guess that's kind of, you know, how I sort of mentioned for a lot of... Uh, younger listeners and that, that out there um some some of the best advice that i can give is to get in the market as soon as you can mm-hmm. don't <clears throat> don't wait to buy property buy property and wait that's the better way to go about it because everyone tries to prime the market uh, but it's not really about timing the market it's about probably getting your numbers right at the front end and then holding on for the long for the long term Mm -hmm. because if if you ask a lot of, even like if you ask my mum and dad or um, you ask around um, the most amount of money that people have ever made in their life generally going to be from a sale of their property that they own for years and years and years, you know, it's the most amount of money they ever made and so if you can kind of get your hands on two or three of those you know um, then it can be uh, you know, it can be quite um,
0: be we certainly we can set you up for the future, that's for sure. Mm-mm. How have the new tax laws affected your um, investing methods, or have they? And I, I know some investors um, in the property market, it's turned um, potential positive co- um, cash flow properties into negative ones. Is, is that the case for you or no? Um, probably still a bit
1: too early to, to tell. Because this year, this financial year is the first year that it actually kicks in. Mm. And uh, it's it's only a small percentage. Um, They've only taken away a small percentage of the, uh, you're talking about the mortgage interest deductibility that we can claim back on. So it's going to be over the next three or four years that we're going to start to feel the pinch of that. Um, I I have no doubt that it will will affect um, my portfolio. But because... Um, a lot of what we buy is cash flow positive um, and, um, and I sort of have a tendency to buy more multi-unit stuff these days, I, I try to stay away from a single family home mm-hmm. um, so yeah, I have no doubt that it is <laughs> going to affect me but to what extent at the moment, it's too early to say uh, mm-hmm. and of course interest rates are going up at the moment too so that always affects your cash flow, uh, I think for the investor, for the property investor, uh, one of the things we have to keep in mind is there is a massive rental shortage, and it's kind of, you know, it's kind of all around New Zealand at the moment. Um, we've got a lot of, a lot of uh, whānau out there living in emergency housing, motels, that sort of thing, um, because there's just not enough rental properties. And so for the long-term investor, at the moment, um, if you're looking at If you're looking at any business and you're looking at who your customer base are, you know what I mean? Um, So for the property investor, looking at the customer base, which is our our tenant, um, what the shortage, shortage, you know, with supply and demand being like it is at the moment, what I can see happening is that over the next five years, rents are going to keep going up and up and up and up. Mm. That's all I can see at the moment. although although the housing market might be fairly quiet at the moment, the rental market is still very buoyant
0: Okay. Uh, What would you so I I, I heard you say that you would say that if you're young to just get into the market as soon as you can Um, for those who are kind of young and not, not really, you know, we haven't had role models in our whanau who have been property investors, and this is very new to us. What would you say are some good tips to be able to access the housing market at a younger age?
1: Look, in all honesty, when I first started, um, probably be a long-winded way of answering your question, but um, I did it the hard way. I saved up and I did as much over time as I could at, at work. Uh, and I think I managed to save up over a year, or might have been a year and a half, I saved around 25 grand. But that was, I was, you know, doing weekend work, and I was living at home with mum and dad, so I could save pretty much all my pay. But looking back on it now, um, I wouldn't do it like that again. I think it's, um, I think you're far better off, if you can, uh, to borrow the money mm. of mum and dad, um along the way and i have to be very to be careful how i sort of word this i suppose um because i also along the way throughout my journey i use credit cards as well um, Mm. as deposits to buy property um however you've got to be very very disciplined with money habits and stuff if you're gonna do that because it's so easy to get a twenty thousand dollar credit card say and then go and blow it on an overseas trip or the, you know, a new a new big screen TV or something like that, or a new car. Um, but I, um, so what I did, I applied for like four or five credit cards all with a $10,000 limit. And then I took a cash advance off those credit cards and used it as a deposit to go and buy a house. And then once I claimed the GST back, I traded that property. It's another, I'm probably going off a little bit here, but it's another, um, Strategy that I use trading property. I claim the GST, and then uh, I'd use I'd use the GST to pay some of those credit cards back down until such time that I had sold the property. You know, um, so little strategies like that that I would use. I would um, I would learn how to uh, um, I'd, le- I'd learn how to raise capital would be one of the things I would learn as a young fella. Now looking back on it. And my goal would be financial freedom. I'd be looking at that more than anything else. So to try and get out of uh, out of the rat race, so to speak, you know, like as in the the cash flow, the cash flow game. Um, I, I, so I went 2001. I went to a Robert Kiyosaki seminar, and the first question that Robert Kiyosaki asked us was, "If you had, uh, how long would it take you to save twenty million dollars?" And we all looked at each other and thought, gosh, I don't think I could ever save that amount of money. Then he turned around to us and said, well, it took me 20 minutes to borrow it. And Mm. that's when the the penny dropped for me. And I thought, oh, of course. That's fine. Because if you ask yourself, like myself even, how long, you know, a couple of weeks ago, we borrowed 820,000. Now, for me to try and save that, I don't know if I ever could. I don't know if I make enough, you know what I mean? It would take too long. But it took me five days to borrow it, sort of thing. So I think you're far better off leveraging, using leverage um, than you are trying to save because you're, (sighs) I don't think you can save quick enough to be able to keep up with Mm -hmm.
0: the market. Yeah. That's an awesome facado. and I think that lots of my audience um, get a bit confused with this, and it's that with leverage, if you're able to borrow money and make money from this borrowed money, then you'll be in a far better position, but I think the thing that whānau often get confused about is um, good debt and bad debt, and so being able to make money off this debt, so um, I guess what would you say is the best way to kind of decipher for someone um, who's a bit confused about this idea of leverage and, and and, when is a good time to use debt and when is not a good time to use debt?
1: Yeah, well, I suppose, you know, um, a, a good time. So, like, for me, good debt is when someone else is paying for it. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. So if I, can, if I can take out a loan and you know, um, and use that to go and purchase a, an income producing asset and that, and that asset pays me to own it, you know, so it, it covers my loan, mortgage payment covers all so the rates and insurances, everything, and still puts money in my pocket, then to me that's good debt where someone else is paying for it. Bad debt would be your consumer debt, it would be, you know, um, higher purchase, um, Picking up your credit card to go and for a holiday overseas, or using your credit card to go and buy a the latest Xbox or whatever, that would be what I would consider bad debt. It's coming out of your own pocket. It's, uh, so, um,
0: yeah, that, that's that's very helpful. I think um, you you talk, spoke about coming back from your trips overseas and feeling kind of lost going back to work. What, what, would you, what are your goals now with financial independence and, and how are these um, affecting your methods to kind of progressing through your journey? Um,
1: my goals have changed now. Um, I, with, with what we've been, look, with myself, I've been doing this for well over, almost close to 25 years now in total. Um, I've been full time for uh, close to 20 years. Um, so, yeah, obviously, at the start of my journey, the goal was to um, was financial freedom. That was, the, that was the first goal. And then after that, it was really sort of just deciding uh, you know, how much more money and how much more cash flow you, you want to make after that. Mm-hmm. That's the thing with money, too, is it can be very addictive um, once you learn how to do it. It's like anything. You get good at it, you want to keep doing it. You, you know, you naturally, you'll keep doing that, like a job. Like a, if you're a barber or a hairdresser or whatever, you know, and if you tried to go and do something else, you lost your job, you're naturally going to go back to the thing that you know you're good at. Yeah. And so for me, I just, and keeping in mind, because I was a full time investor, uh, for me, it was important that I did really, really well because I had a family, you know, I had a, um, you know, I had a son, that sort of thing. And because uh, and I was a full time investor, so I had to make sure that it, that, that, I, that, I, that, I, uh, that I didn't stuff it up, kind of. Yeah. Um, yeah, so my goals have changed, really. Um, I'm not so much, um, so over the next five or 10 years, it's really, i probably, um, yeah, business goals would be to, probably to sell down um, the single family homes that I still own. Mm-hmm. and put that money into the multi multi-unit stuff that we own so um you just find it you're, you're far better, better off owning uh, a, block of, a block of units that you know that might have 10 incomes as opposed to sort of um, um you know one one house kind of thing mm-hmm. if you only if you own one rental property and that tenant stops paying then you've got zero income where if you've got property a multi-unit property that's got 10 incomes you know and one of them doesn't pay doesn't matter you've got nine nine more to cover Mm -hmm. So probably my my in terms of goals and i know we i know you're sort of referring to it on a business perspective i don't have as many business goals anymore it's it's more other personal sort of goals that that i had so
0: Cool. Uh, I did have a question around selling, and so that is an interesting focar. And I guess did that change? So when you first started, you kind of focused on um, single unit homes, um, you know, the typical three bedroom, one bathroom type ones, and now you're kind of moving towards um, multiple dwellings. So did you want to explain a bit more about that? So is that basically your just your method to diversifying in property to protect? Yeah, um- so well,
1: a lot of people uh, one of my one of my mentors. His um, name's Graham Fowler, and Graham uh, he had a massive portfolio, mm. a residential portfolio, and he's now gone into commercial. So, and I think it's probably a bit like the monopoly game, you know, with the green the greenhouses and going into the to the to the hotels to the red hotel. That's kind of the evolution, I suppose, for the property person, and um, and I think uh, the reason why a lot of people start off in the residential side of things is because it's not that easy to get into the commercial side. You need a lot more uh, capital, deposit money up, capital upfront. Um, yeah, so um, but that is the, I think that's the natural evolution is to go into commercial. Um, for me, I would look at going into that as well. Eventually, but um, I'm I'm quite happy just sticking with residential at the moment, uh, multi-unit sort of stuff. Um,
0: hmm. And with your, so is this flats or kind of duplexes or what? What um, particular ones are you talking about?
1: Oh, look, I would I think this sort of multi-unit. I would go. I would probably. I would. You can, I would try and go into flats, but when you're first starting out, like going back to the question you was asking me before, um, you're barely scraping enough money up to get you know a single, a single dwelling, you know what I mean? Let alone have to go out and buy a multi unit property or block of flats, it just seems to be too big a jump. But um, if I could do it again, I probably would, yeah, I would, I would maybe syndicate. A joint venture with someone else to get into um for the multi unit stuff a lot quicker it's, just mm-hmm. more, it's more it's the same amount of headache so it's the same amount of headache owning a, a, a block of, a block of 20 flats or 10, 10 flats or whatever as it is to owning one matter but mm-hmm. it's a it's it's kind of a <laughs> it's a better headache to have really because like i said before if uh, one of your tenants stop paying uh at least you've got you know, nine, eight or nine others to be able to carry the carry the burden for you until such time you get on top of you know of, of the arrears. So, you know, and so to answer your question, there yeah, I would I would always look at multi-unit or flats, sort of thing. Now, then I would single family home. But when I first started, I know I just looked at single family stuff. <laughs> um, but it's a it's a long way it's a, a long, long way of going, going it. about it. Um, which, you know, you only learn from experience.
0: So. That's awesome. I think lots of whānau Māori, we don't have these role models. So I think a lot of people are going to benefit from your kōrero and your mātauranga in this space. So thank you for that. And I really appreciate it. And I know there's lots of other um, people watching and listening that will appreciate it too. Um, did you have any final advice for anyone wanting to get started investing in property? Yeah. Um, probably
1: um let me get my notes yeah learn learn how to raise capital but the other thing is to keep keep your your credit rating good Um, so protect your your credit rating as much as you can because the minute you do minute you bugger up your credit rating then you're going to find it extremely hard to be able to borrow any money from any banks Mm. so it's kind of that thing about uh showing up when the student is ready the teacher will appear is that thing so keeping your credit rating particularly because for me i found out that property investing was more about finance than it was property investing if you can learn the art of raising capital if you can learn how um, how the financials side of things work in terms of um what the banks are looking for in order for them to tick all the, the yes boxes to give you the money then uh, that's, where, yeah, that's where I would sort of focus on. So keep, um, And sometimes, you know, a good way to know whether you're on track or not is to apply for something. Don't apply for a, for a mortgage broker and give it a crack. Just, mm-hmm. you know, because they'll soon tell you, oh, whether you're ready or not, or look, you might need to go away and, uh, you know, you, you need to tidy up this car payment there or get rid of that debt you've got on your credit card so they'll point you in the right direction um, you know so, and then all you need to do is just make the adjustments to, to suit um, so yeah that would be one definitely that and get good mentors get around people, don't be afraid to go out and, and uh, put yourself out there because that's really what this is all about, you know getting into business and that sort of thing, you've got to put yourself out there um, put yourself into some uncomfortable situations that sort of thing but you get used to it after a while um so yeah find good mentors i've always uh i've always been of the attitude of um go and get good advice go to the best if you can get access to them um and um you know like one one guy i remember i saw him on tv many years ago his name was ray scofield so he was a big time property developer here in new zealand um own quite a few motel chains and that and he was on a program called i think it was new zealand richest people or something and because they on the program they said his wife's name and they said where he lived mm-hmm. and then i jumped into the old phone book we had that's when we used to have to use the phone book and i found uh i found his um his phone number so i rang i rang the number and got talking to his wife and then i explained to her that i'd seen the program on TV and wanted to get some advice off her husband. So she gave me his mobile number and um, I gave him a ring. No, I was nervous, heart pumping all that sort of thing, but end of the day, um, you've got to do what you got to do. So I, I rang this guy, Ray, and I asked him if I could take him out for lunch and I want to ask him some questions. He And he said to me, I don't have the time. He goes, I'm too busy, but what I will do for you, he goes, Go and write down all the questions you have for me, and um, I'll ring you back on. Yeah, I'll ring you back on this number tomorrow at one o'clock. And I thought to myself, "Yeah, that's what it's bobbing me off." And so, but I thought I'd better just get the questions ready just in case. So I did, and sure enough, the next day, one o'clock on the dot, bang, he rang me. That was one of the things that I did learn about a lot of these wealthy fellas is that they have very high integrity. Their word is everything when they say they're going to do something, they do it. Mm. Um, and that's the other thing, I, I suppose, especially with, <laughs> with business, you've only got your word, You know, you, you, and so, um, yeah, you've got to protect that as well. Mm. People, um, in, in business in particular, people uh like doing business with people they like, they like doing business with people that they can rely on. Business in, in the business world, they don't like unpredictable people I like it, you know, it's not, they're like uh, trying to get as much certainty as they, they can. can so that um, was one of the things that um, you know, that I picked up from, from Ray Schofield and then some of the questions that I asked him was, one of the things he said to me was um, he told me to save up uh, six months worth of expenses he said, so work out you know, what, your, what your income and your expenses are and he said, save up six months worth of expenses and then hand your notice in and go full time, and, and I did. I did exactly what he told me to do, and no doubt about it, man, I was shitting myself. So you know, I, I really was. I was, you know, but I just thought, well, I was young. Um, I didn't, you know, and I thought, well, I came into this world with nothing. I leave with nothing. I might as well give it a good nudge in between. That was my attitude, and uh, and and that's kind of so. I thought, well, hey, I listened to what he said and, and I did it. it, and it was also Ray that. Um, Ray Schofield told me about using credit cards, and he always used to say to me, "What does it matter? Um, if you're having to pay twenty percent on a credit card, if you're if you're making fifty percent on your money, you're making a hundred percent on your money. I mean, what does it matter?" And I thought, interesting. Because, you know, I always used to. Oh, my focus is, oh, I don't want to pay twenty percent interest. You know, yeah.
0: But,
1: yeah. So it's kind of getting your head around that as well, but um. I think I put it up on a post on, our, on, on the Millionaire page about the financial freedom thing the other day. Mm. And I think that, that there is, a, um, for me, anyhow, personally, that should be the goal, financial freedom. And, you know, the vehicle you use, which for me is property, um, it, it, it's, it's only the vehicle. So, you know, there's what, business, there's share market, there's crypto and Bitcoin, all that sort of stuff and then there's property. And I chose to use property as, uh, as, uh, as my investment vehicle, if you will, um, to get to get, get me to where it was that I was wanting to go. I I looked at it and thought, well, how hard could it be? Um, you buy a property, chuck a bit of paint on it, chuck some carpet in and rent it out. I thought, no, that, that sounds a bit like me. So, yeah. Um, I don't have any... I don't have any... Um, yeah, school qualifications nothing i didn't ask school c i don't i did nothing like that so uh, I'm, a, I'm you know in terms of education i'm a dumbass uh, I mean, <laughs> and i'm just being honest about um i don't have anything i don't have those sorts of skills but what i do have is i have street smarts mm-hmm. um and um and i guess that there's a lot to be said for that um because you can, these days, especially, you can uh, educate yourself. You know, you've got, you've got all the resources in the world out there. And even my, mate, my friend, Graham Fowler, my, one, one of my mentors, he, you know, I'm part there for me to go and see him was costing me $1,000 an hour. And I'd pay it no sweat at all. I didn't mind it at all because I knew what I could do with the information that he would give me. So I would pay it happily. Um... Yeah, I mean, I suppose it's also, no, you've got to back yourself as well, eh? You've got to, you know, because um, with business, you know, it's not all, uh, not all a bed of roses, and you can have some real down down times as well mm-hmm. um, along, along your journey to becoming a millionaire. Um, the one other thing that I was thinking about was, you know, uh, in my mind when I first started, I thought to myself, "Oh, I want to be a millionaire," and I thought I had to have a million, million dollars, or you know what I mean. But in actual fact, that's where the confusion is. So to get to become financially free, you don't actually you don't even need a million bucks to do it. You can Mm. do it with a lot less money. And a matter of fact, as a matter of fact, a lot of people are probably a lot closer to being financially free than they realize. Mm. So, um, you know. is yeah, once you work out what your once you work out what your expenses are um and if you can find something to replace your income you know and and match your income or even surpass your income back now you're financially free and then that allows you to then go and do whatever it is you want to do so the mm-hmm. question i think to ask yourself is particularly in whatever it is you might be doing now for our uh, maybe our younger listeners is that if you're um if you're in a job, um, ask yourself this question. If you won $20 million in lotto this Saturday or this Wednesday or whatever, um, would you carry on with the job you're doing now? And if you answer no, then you're probably not doing what you're supposed to be doing. You know what I mean? You're not doing God's work or whatever it is, you know? Exactly. You're not on the right Yeah. And so if you because i know for myself if i won a lotto on saturday uh, i'd still be doing this wouldn't change i'd just probably buy more homes or you know um
0: yeah. that's awesome and i thank you so much for speaking with me today and i think there's so many um people that are just going to be able to take these nuggets of wisdom and just use them to their advantage so tenei te and, nga and i hope you um Have a really good investing week and yeah.
1: (laughs) Thank you so much.